The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 28, beginning at the first verse. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. As we come to uh, the Lord's Word, let us pray together. Lord Jesus, you came uh, with power out of the tomb, and we pray now that you would come with power amongst us gathered here. We pray you'd speak with life-giving, life-transforming words into our hearts and minds that we might know, perhaps for the first time or perhaps afresh, the new life you offer to all who would put their lives in your hands. Help us, we pray, to do that, that you might be glorified. Amen. Well, I wonder what uh, word you associate with Easter. If you had to summarize Easter in a single word, I wonder what word you would choose. I was thinking about that this week, and I chose, really prompted by the Apostle Peter, uh, the word hope. Uh, you remember in his uh, letter, he says, we, he uh, praises God uh, that because of the resurrection, he knows that he and all Christians have been born again, raised into, as he puts it, a living hope. 
And it is indeed something to praise God for in a society uh, in which it seems to me hope is in scant supply. And that is the focus, really, of what I want to speak about this morning. I want to look at the nature of resurrection hope, the nature of Easter hope. And first, I want to think a little bit about the hope that Easter wins for us in the there and then. Hope for the there and then. Uh, You'll be aware, possibly, that um, Peaches Geldof, the adopted, I think it was the adopted daughter of uh, Bob Geldof, died uh, a couple of weeks ago in her uh, mid-twenties, a reasonably well-known celebrity, and Bob Geldof, speaking upon her death, uh, created me movingly spoke about the fact that he and the family were beyond pain. That's the, that's the expression he used, as I remember, beyond pain. And uh, I take it that many of us, uh, even here this morning, will have our own uh, personal stories of the pain, the grief that the grave alone can bring. Uh, I read uh, recently in the Times, Janice Turner, who's one of the uh, writers in the Times, was speaking about the sort of public fascination that there often is when a celebrity in particular dies, particularly when one dies uh, an early uh, death. Uh, And she said this, she said, these deaths pull us up short. A dead star is a memento mori. That is to say, a dead star becomes often for us, in in a world where death is the final taboo, in a culture where death is no longer really seen anymore, it's pushed to the margins, these public, famous deaths become a reminder of our mortality. They are a reminder of our mortality. They are a tragedy. Death is always a tragedy because it robs the world of life and it robs us, of course, of a loved one. It reminds us of our own mortality. It also removes, as many note, it removes much of the purpose with which we try to imbue life because we know that in death, time and tide wash everything we accomplish away. And so often we find ourselves beyond pain when we look at the grave. And that is why, of course, Christians are not glib in the face of death. We're not glib in the face of death. One writer said this very helpfully, Christianity does not force a smile on the grieving. Christianity does not ignore death or say that it means nothing. Death is the last enemy, says Paul. It is evil, the greatest and most complete of evils. And if Christians are to know the greatness of Jesus Christ's victory over death... They must know that death is evil. And we do know that, don't we? We are not glib in the face of death. But we are hopeful. We are hopeful. For Easter proclaims that in the person of Christ, death has met its match. Death has been conquered. There is now in him hope hope in the face of death, hope for the there and then. Christ's resurrection has yet to remove death from our experience. That day has yet to come when he returns in glory and gives us resurrection bodies, but he has removed the sting of death. Christ's resurrection means that the grave no longer has to be a doorway into death. It can now, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be a doorway into everlasting life. 
Christ is the only sure guide through the veil of death and into life the other side. And if we put our hand in his, if we put our life in his hands, he keeps it safe. And he leads us like the great shepherd of Psalm 23, through the veil of the shadow of death, through death itself and into life the other side. You cannot beat death, wrote one Christian writer, but you can know someone who has. Rest in Jesus, the God who shared your humanity, so that he might destroy death from the inside out, curl up and go to sleep on the promises of God, knowing that the Father who raised his Son from the dead will not leave you to languish in your grave. Rest in peace, for as good as life was this time around, it will be indescribably better when you return with Jesus. That is a wonderful quote. The good news of Easter is that if we are following Christ, if we have simply put our faith in him, then the best has yet to come. We may this morning uh, gather here, yes, with joy in our hearts, but also a certain heaviness because we may be going through a difficult season in life. Uh, I take it all of us will at some time or other experience a difficult season in life. This morning we praise God that Whatever season of life we are going through, no matter how difficult it is, it is never, the resurrection declares, it is never the final chapter. Never the final chapter for the Christian. For the Christian, the final chapter is a glorious reunion with our Creator. A couple of months ago, I came across this very short letter to the Times. They've been having, a, I think, a sort of back and forward letter discussion about um, funeral stories. And somebody wrote this, which I thought was appropriate this morning. Sir, apropos your funeral satnav tale, in 1967, a sign outside an undertaker's in Edgbaston read, Do not enter box unless your exit is clear. <laughs> well, we rejoice this morning, don't we? We rejoice this morning that if we are following the Lord Jesus Christ, our exit is clear. We have hope. We have hope. The Bible says, for the there and then. But, friends, we also have hope for the here and now. We have hope for the here and now. You see, the events of Easter are not just past events. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says you are united to him, like a bride is united to her spouse when they marry. And what happens is, through that union with him, his story becomes our story. The story of Easter becomes our story. Those past events, if you like, become personal history for us. And that is why we rejoice in the cross on Good Friday, because we we look at it and we see the place where Christ took what was ours and gave us what is his. So on the cross, he takes our sin and our shame and our death upon himself, and he gives us his clean criminal record, if you like, or you can't have a clean criminal record, but you know what I mean. He takes our criminal record and gives us his clean record, I suppose would be a better way of putting it. He gives us what is his and he takes what is ours. We're rescued from our old life, that life enslaved to sin and to death, and we're given a new one. And this morning we rejoice that the power, that same power that raised Christ from the tomb is at work in his people now. 
is available to his people now. It was poured out on his people on that first Pentecost and is available and is at work in us now. We can know that power to renew and to restore us in the image of God. And you know, for the Christian, the Bible holds those two things together. In our experience, in our life, the cross and the resurrection, they come together, a new record we praise God for at the cross, a new power to live the new life that Christ has given us by his work on the cross is made uh, available to us at his resurrection. We hold those together. And friends, I want to read some words which I always find so helpful from the Apostle Paul. And uh, they're in 2 Corinthians 4. You, don't need to, if you, you can look it up by all means. It's on page 1160 if you want. But I'm going to read them to you. It's from uh, his letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Listen to how the cross and the resurrection are at work in Paul in the present. It says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Do you see what he's saying? Paul's life as a Christian is, is not one of simply preaching about the resurrection, though he does that. It is also one of experiencing the resurrection in his life. Paul's experience, I mean, he's battered and he's bruised, often betrayed and bewildered, but he's never broken. That's his point, isn't it, in 2 Corinthians 4? Indeed, he finds this extraordinary paradox at work, that the more weak he becomes, the more obvious the resurrection life of Jesus sustaining him and empowering him and at work in him becomes to him and to others watching him. The growth of his godliness and his ministry in the midst of his suffering becomes part of his testimony to the reality of the resurrection. It is at work in my life. Paul was often knocked down, but he was never knocked out. And if you'd ask him why, he would have said it's because of the resurrection, the power of the risen Jesus at work in me. Friends, we do not yet have resurrection bodies. We await the day when Jesus returns and he removes sin from us and he removes Uh, decay and he removes death and now we live as Paul puts it beautifully in jars of clay jars of clay we're fragile things we're not much to look at Uh, well I speak for myself Um, but uh, we're jars of clay but says Paul do you see we have the beginnings of resurrection life at work in us we have he says the all-surpassing power of God Because we have the all-surpassing person of Christ, risen and now residing in his people by his Spirit. And the resurrection of Jesus reveals God's purpose and his power to bring life out of death, good out of evil, victory out of apparent defeat, You see, in the same way that God raised Jesus from the tomb, so too God can bring life out of our trials and our troubles. He can bring good out of evil. He can bring spiritual victory out of apparent physical defeat. 
Palm Sunday is a great reminder of this. I spoke on it last uh, Sunday at the uh, 9.30. It's, it's a reminder that Jesus always wants to do something much bigger, much more wonderful than we often almost want him to do or think he's going to do. Uh, particularly in our moments of need, he does so much more than simply fulfill our perceptions of what's best for us. You see, the crowd 2,000 years ago, do you remember, they welcomed Jesus as king, but they had an agenda for him. They had an agenda for him. They wanted him to demonstrate his power by killing the Romans and cleansing their homeland because they believed that the Romans were their biggest problem. But Jesus came And he knew what the crowd really needed. And that was not their homeland cleansed, but their hearts to be cleansed. It wasn't the Romans that were the problem. It was their own rebellion. You see, the crowd wanted their situation transformed. Come and transform our circumstances. That's our big problem. Come and transform our situation. And the Lord Jesus says, no, no, no. I've come to transform you. Not come as a soldier. I've come as a saviour to transform you. Jesus always wants to go beneath the surface, beyond the perceived need. He always wants to go to the root, the heart of things. I was reading one Christian counselor who says this, Jesus' great redemptive work in any and every circumstance is to deepen his work of cleansing, renewing, transforming, and healing of our hearts and lives. In that way, He wants to create a life that knows contentment regardless of circumstance. A joy that nothing can shape. A life that endures. That is what renewed life looks like. That is what a savior does for us. And that is what Jesus would do for us now as he dwells in us, risen and reigning Lord and Savior. And the resurrection reveals to all that nothing has the power to stop his work in us. His resurrection power is not always given to remove our troubles and trials. It certainly didn't for Paul. But it's always at work in us. It always advances his great agenda of cleansing and healing and renewal. His great agenda of transformation. And therefore, friends, the Christian life is one of hopeful realism. That is the Christian life, hopeful realism. We're realistic in life because we know we're jars of clay. We know we will go through seasons of weakness. We know we're fragile. We know we're prone to decay. We fail uh, with the presence of sin. We know we will face the grave. We're realistic. But because of the resurrection, we face these things with hope with hope, knowing that there is nothing in this universe more powerful than the risen, reigning Lord Jesus, who is alive and at work in us, helping us to respond to the heat of life that we will face. But he helps us to respond to it in new and wonderful ways that we could never imagine we could have done until we met this risen Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's experience, wasn't it? In all his troubles and his trials, The resurrection power of Jesus changed the man and through the man changed the world. And so too with us. Perhaps not so dramatically, but just as surely. We will find his resurrection power, the power to respond 
to God's prompting, to be shaped and inspired by the cross and not our society and our selfishness. You know, when we choose to stop in the midst of a shouting match with our spouse, uh, with a desire upon our hearts to say sorry and to mean it, that is the power of the resurrection. And when we choose to accept that apology and not to hold on to the hurt and to wield it as a weapon in future arguments with our spouse, friends, that is the power of the resurrection. And when we choose to look beyond ourselves and our trials and our troubles and our weakness and to be on our knees in prayer for ourselves, yes, but also for others whom we hold before the Lord, that is the power of the resurrection. And when we reconcile and when we do not return insults when we ourselves are insulted, that is the power of the resurrection. And when we choose to work with integrity when we are perhaps low paid and overworked and the boss ignores us, but we choose to do the right thing when his eye is not on us, that is the power of the resurrection. And we will find the resurrection power, we will find the power to to bear fruit in our troubles and our trials. I was speaking to one senior member of our congregation uh, a few months ago, and uh, she was uh, explaining to me how... um, uh, one of her children, I think it may have been her first, I can't remember, was born uh, handicapped, severely handicapped. And it was a difficult time, particularly back then when there wasn't so much provision for those uh, who were born handicapped. And uh, it was a difficult time, and there were moments of tears, and there were moments of heartbreak. But you know, friend, she, she, she glowed when she spoke of it. And she said how, looking back, she saw, even at the time, but even more so looking back, how it had changed her. How it, through... through, through constant trips to clinics, she met people she never would have met. And it taught her to relate to people in a whole new way. And she said there was a whole sort of segment of society that she never would have sort of mixed with. But this forced her to do so. And she rejoiced in that. And she found she could speak to people she previously never would have spoke to. And it opened up doors of ministry. And it gave her empathy and sympathy with others. It wasn't an easy time. It wasn't an easy time. It was a trial. The Lord didn't not give her a handicap. I didn't remove her from that. But his resurrection power was at work in her as she bore fruit in that difficulty. There are countless other examples. I'm sure you can think of others where looking back you have seen that you have been sustained through difficult times by the resurrection power of Christ. You have borne fruit in a way you couldn't possibly have thought possible. That's the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ at work today. You may be feeling, oh, but I'm not, I'm not like that. That, that. that lady sounds super spiritual. Well, if you speak to her, I, I, I can assure you that she would say it's not her, that she was an ordinary Christian, but she had discovered afresh that she had an extraordinary, extraordinary God who rose from the dead and was now residing in her heart. She and others threw herself on him, and I, I guess often in tears, often in despair, often in doubt, but she and others found that he raised them in those moments because he is faithful. The devil would love us in our struggles to lose hope. He'd love us to fix our eyes on our circumstances. He'd love us uh, for the world to tell us what our response should be to this, that a certain response is inevitable. Easter challenges and it comforts us. Look at the cross and the resurrection and know that by faith, that is our story. That is our story. It is true of you. 
if you are following the Lord Jesus. Your old life has died. Your new life, indwelled by the risen Jesus, has begun. Don't believe the lie that what you are tempted to do is inevitable. It isn't. Don't believe the lie that it's who you really are. It isn't. Don't believe that you are powerless in the situation to respond with godly wisdom and character. You're not. Don't believe the lie that there's no hope of bearing fruit in this situation. There is. Because Easter proclaims a God of resurrection. A God of resurrection power who really does bring life out of situations that seem dead. Good out of evil. Victory out of apparent defeat. And as we gaze again at the cross and the empty tomb, we are assured that he will do that for us in the there and then. And we praise God. But he will also do it for us in the here and now, in our daily struggles, trials, and troubles. Let's step out in faith. Dare to believe that God can can raise something beautiful in the midst of the brokenness of life. Let's set ourselves in all our weakness to seek God's agenda for our lives, knowing that as we do so, we will find God is faithful. Christ's cross and his resurrection give us hope that we can not only survive the heat of this world, but we can bear fruit through it to the glory of God. Amen.